0: Amen. Isn't it a good reminder as we gather together as the church this morning that our God won't fail us. that he won't fail us, especially now, whatever you're facing today, wherever you find yourself, uh, God is with you and I hope you've encountered that already as you've come into our worship space this morning. I'm gonna steal this stool from my worship team and just hope that no one needs it uh, when they come back on stage a little bit later. I wanna wanna say a moment, I know that Steve welcomed our third grade Bible students and their families, but I just wanna look at you, I just wanna say how happy I am that you're here today and I was thinking knowing this moment was coming today. I was thinking about when I was, uh, for those kiddos, especially when I was about your age and I, I got my first Bible. My friend, Vicki, she was my best friend. And, and my family and I, we didn't go to church growing up. And so Vicky was the house I'd spend the night at on a Saturday night. And her mom would wake us up early and drag us to church in the morning. And I'm so thankful for Vicky and her mom and their faithfulness in my life, Because they were the people who bought me my first Bible when I was about 10 years old. And I still have that Bible and I cherish it. And I've had many, many Bibles since that day. But it is one of the most special things I have gotten in my faith journey. And so uh, I just want to say that to you this morning. I'm just so glad that you guys are are joining us in here. Um, I'm just sorry that you have to listen to an entire sermon from me (laughs) before you get your Bibles. But hang in there. Uh, We will get there. We have a lot of ground uh, to cover this morning, my friends, as we enter this scripture together. And so again, it's just good to be together this morning. Um, This morning we are in the second week of our Lenten sermon series called At the Table. At the table, Dan Meyer actually uh, kicked us off last week. If you haven't had a chance to listen to that message via our website or app, I would encourage you, go back and listen to it because Dan sets up this series, not only for this morning, but the rest of our Lenten journey so well as he describes and talks about some of the significant ways that Jesus spent time during his ministry around the table, at the table And some of the things that happened. And this morning, we're gonna, during our time together, we're gonna look at one of those stories at the table. I love this sermon uh, title, this sermon series, because it's been pretty well documented. It's a well documented sociological fact that no matter what culture you have been raised in, no matter what culture you are part of, that having a meal with a group of people is one of the most significant things you can do breaking bread together. And it doesn't matter whether it happens at a wedding or a funeral or a significant event or a a Wednesday night. When we gather around a table together, something happens within our families, within our friendships. Something happens, relational connections are made. Memories are made, friendships are shared, stories are shared, We, we let down our guard we let down our guard and we come to the table as we fully are and something beautiful and divine and inexplicable starts to happen. Now, depending on what culture you're from, um, there are rules that that we live by that we, when we come to the table, that we follow. Now, these are uh, a set of do's and don'ts. There's certain things we do and don't do. And in our American culture, we have lots of these, right? Uh, One of our rules around the table in our American culture is that typically we don't eat until everyone at the table has been served at least if you have manners, right? You don't eat until everyone has been served. Or or we don't generally reach over to the person next to us and and try to take a bite of their food. I hope you don't do that either. Uh, Take a bite of their food because that's just not part of the rules that we have around our American tables. We put napkins in our lap. When we want to celebrate a special moment, we maybe raise a glass and we say, cheers. There are rules and rituals that happen as a culture around the table, and it's one of the things, it's an important thing, that defines who we are. Now, in addition to our cultural rules, I would imagine that many of you have rules in your house. at your table, things that do and don't happen around your unique table. I I preached a sermon back in January and and the theme was similar. And so I I talked about how one of the rules at the, the Camfield family house is no phones at the table. No phones at the table. It's our way, it's our practice of being fully present to one another. No phones at the table. One of the other practices, the rules, that the Camfield family lives and dies by, and mostly we we live or die by it because my husband will kill us if we don't follow this rule. It's this, when the food's hot, you eat, (laughs) Okay, there are no exceptions. When the food is hot, you eat. Now, my husband, this is maybe a little known fact for those of you who know my husband, Eric, um, he is a fabulous cook just an absolute fabulous cook. And so I would rather, and the kids and I, we would actually rather eat his food than almost any other food at any restaurant in the western suburbs. And I I used to, especially as a female, um, because he now does most of the cooking, because everyone would rather eat his food than than my food, I, I used to feel kind of embarrassed by this. It was something I didn't want to admit. But one of the other rules that happens at our table when Eric cooks is he kicks everyone out of the kitchen. No one's allowed to help. And so, while I used to be embarrassed or not want to quite embrace it, now it's the best thing that's ever happened because I just go sit on the couch and I pour a beverage and I just wait for the food, food to be hot, the food to be served. It's like one of the best things that's happened in our 25 years of marriage. Our rule is that when the food is hot, you're at the table and you eat. One of the things I have come to appreciate so much about this rule and it has a direct correlation with one of the things I've come so much to appreciate about my husband is it's not just a rule for rule's sake. There's an intentionality behind it because for Eric, it comes from a deep place of love, a deep place of servanthood because he's worked so hard. He has invested so much, he has sacrificed his time and his energy, and, and he knows, he knows how it's best to come to the table and so he just wants the people that he loves, his family and friends, he wants them to experience the best, the fullness of the goodness that he has prepared for us. You can see where maybe we're going today. Now the funny thing is when guests come to our house, When guests come to our house, they don't know the rules. (laughs) Although now y'all do if you come to our house, now you know, okay? But when guests come to our house, they don't know the rules, and so the kids and I, when the food is hot and it's at the table, and one of our guests uh, uh, then decides they wanna refill their drink or go to the restroom, or or they're still talking and they're not at the table, the kids and I, we start to panic. We just absolutely start to panic because we think the food is hot, (laughs) the food is hot, you need to be at the table, it's the rule. And we've had to check ourselves. We've had to check ourselves as both individuals and a family because we've come to learn that this decision says more about who we are than who our guests are. The decision that we have in front of us about whether we're going to put our rules first or whether we're going to put relationships first. What is our value? What drives us? What is the priority? And the relationships around the table, they they create this sense of connection and belonging. And so we know, when we know that's our priority over the rule, when that's the priority, it makes it easier just to let the rest go because for most of us, for most of us, for most people coming to a table, life is hard and life is messy, and we just want to know that we have a seat. One thing we know unequivocally about Jesus and his ministry, we witness it time and time again throughout the gospels, is Jesus chooses relationship over roles. Time and time again, He chooses compassion and grace, over ritual and tradition because, because of this, because he chose, this was his priority, this was his driving value, and because of this, because this is how he chose to live and move and have his being, he was constantly at odds with a culture who was all about the rules. In fact, one of uh, the scholars uh, scholar says that this was one of the things that marked Jesus' ministry bo- maybe more than any others. He was at odds. He was willing to put himself out there and to break the rules. And, and especially the people who were determined to keep the rules, they didn't like Jesus very much. They didn't like Jesus very much at all. And this is exactly what we see happen and our scripture passage for this morning. If you have a Bible with you, you can open up to the Gospel of Matthew. Third graders, this is a great time to use your new Bibles. Open up to the Gospel of Matthew. It's the first book in the New Testament. It will be about uh, a little over halfway through your Bible. A little more than that, actually. Matthew chapter nine, we're gonna start with verse nine, and we're gonna read until verse 13. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up and he followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. They were at the table together. And the Pharisees, the rule keepers, the Pharisees, they saw this. And they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? We're going to learn more about that in a minute. And on hearing this, Jesus said, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. This my friends is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The story in the Gospel of Matthew takes place a little ways into Jesus' ministry. Uh, it's in chapter 9, so that should give you a, a feel for how much has happened leading up to this point. Jesus had been teaching and preaching and healing people throughout the Judean countryside. And so his popularity was growing. People were starting to understand uh, who Jesus was and a little bit more about what he was all about. And so we see that, that um Jesus in this story is walking along the lake shore. He had actually just healed, in the chapter right before this, he had healed the paralytic man. We, we examined the scripture a little bit in January. And he healed the paralytic man, and he's walking along this lake shore. And along the lakeshore, it was very common for tax collectors to have their booths set up because uh, lots of things happened along the seashore, along the lakeshore. It was part of their way of life. And so the tax collectors would set up these booths so that they could collect taxes, um, everyday taxes, from the Jewish people. Uh, different taxes, just like you and I pay taxes today. They had to pay their taxes to the tax collectors. And one of the reasons they were set up in this particular place is because when boats came in uh, to the port, they had to pay customs tax. And so the, those people would come who were trading goods and they would have to pay their taxes. This, it was very active and alive place on the shores of Capernaum where this story takes place. And one of these tax collectors is a man by the name of Matthew. Matthew, who we see in the Gospels of Mark and Luke, is also known as Levi. Now, Matthew was Jewish. Uh, Matthew would have grown up very much knowing the rules and the traditions and the practices that happen in Jewish culture. He was a young man, probably in his late teens or early 20s, and we don't know that much about, about Matthew's story, but what we do know is is at some point along his journey, he made the decision to go work on behalf of the Roman government. Now this is kind of a crazy decision when you think about it because Matthew is a Jewish person to be collecting taxes from the Roman government, the government who was oppressing the Jewish people, It was very odd that Matthew would go work for them. And the assumption is that that Matthew did it for wealth. He did it for money because the tax collectors not only collected the taxes for Rome, but they collected extra on top of that and they pocketed it in their own pocket to get wealthy, to get rich. You're gonna hear more about this next week when Dan tells the story of Zacchaeus. You're gonna see that's exactly what happens. And so the tax collector is um, one of the most distraught despised human beings in the ancient culture, especially by the people of Israel. In fact, um, tax collectors and sinners we see are often paired together throughout the Bible. Tax collectors get their own category, the really bad people, and then like sinners, every everyone else. And, and just to, just to uh, I'm a student of the word, I love the Bible, and so I constantly want to put the pieces together for us. And so just so you can see how this played out throughout the Jewish culture, I'm going to share a couple of verses with you, and I just want you to see the disdain the culture had for the Jewish people, or sorry, not for the Jewish people, for the tax collectors and the sinners, and who in these verses was hanging out with them. <laughs> Look at these. From the Gospel of Matthew and Luke, the Son of Man, it's Jesus, the Son of Man came eating and drinking and they said, here is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathered around to hear Jesus, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they muttered, this man, he welcomes sinners and he eats with them. Jesus said to them truly I tell you the tax collectors and the prostitutes here where here we're, uh, a, a, and a specific kind of sinner is named we see a prostitute and we see the tax collectors are still in their own category and then we see the prostitutes those people are entering the kingdom of God before you Jesus says you can see you can see what's happening all the people even the tax collectors, even the worst of the worst, when they heard Jesus' words, acknowledged that God's way was right. Isn't our Jesus so good? And so Jesus is strolling along the lake shore, <clears throat> and who does he choose to invite to his table? Matthew, the tax collector. Now the story of the calling of Matthew is, is the second story in the book of Matthew where, where Jesus is calling individuals to follow him. The first story is in Matthew chapter four and we see that Jesus calls the fishermen. He calls, his, uh, he calls Andrew, James, Peter, and John. And you would see, you know what, okay, Jesus calls unsuspecting people to his table. The, the fishermen would have been um, social outcasts. They would have been on the bottom of the org chart. They were poor. They were dirty. They were uneducated. And so we know that Jesus has already called them. But the calling of Matthew, the tax collector, who, by the way, the disciples probably would have hated, the calling of Matthew is next level, Now, the scripture doesn't tell us exactly why Matthew chooses to accept Jesus' invitation. We could maybe infer to this point that Matthew has been watching the life of Jesus. He's been watching his ministry. And so when he calls Matthew, Matthew is so surprised and shocked that, of course, Matthew is going to follow him. And so Matthew follows Jesus, and he leaves his tax collector booth. He follows Jesus, and he's so excited, he throws a party at his house and he invites all his friends. Now, most of us, when we're excited and we're, we're wanting to celebrate, and we call up all our friends, a lot of times those friends are in the same social circles as we are. So who do you think Max Matthew, the tax collector, called? The other tax collectors, and then apparently a bunch of random sinners. And so here is this party at Matthew's house with Jesus and the disciples and Matthew and the tax collectors and the sinners. And the Pharisees are seeing this happen. The Pharisees, the group in the Jewish culture who was, who was committed to keeping the rules, who was committing to protecting their rituals, you can imagine their disgust. When they saw this teacher, this rabbi, not only just being with Matthew, but breaking bread with him and his friends, dipping, dipping their bread in the same olive oil, the Parmesan all mixing up together, imagine what the Pharisees might have thought. Now, earlier we talked about some of the rules that define our modern day tables, but one thing we need to understand if we really want to understand this passage, if we really just want to understand how scandalous Jesus was in this moment, is something called table fellowship. Table fellowship is a a, a term that scholars and theologians have have deemed to describe uh, the rules and the practices that happened around ancient tables. And so just like us, we have our our broader cultural rules and then we have our family rules. The same thing was true of of this scene in the book of Matthew. There were the Roman rules of of Roman way of life and then there were the Jewish rules. And the rules were elaborate. What you did and didn't do at the table, especially for the Jewish people, was elaborate. We don't have time to go into that today. But one one of the things I want you to know is that when you shared an ancient meal with someone, When you shared a meal at the table, you weren't just breaking the rules. You were identifying identifying the people that you wanted to be in your tribe. You were identifying your people. By sharing a meal with someone, you were declaring, these are the people I value. These are the people that matter to me. These are the people I wanna do life with. And so Jesus, by having a meal at a table with the tax collectors and the sinners, he wasn't just having a meal, he wasn't just breaking bread. He was sending a clear message to everyone who saw, especially the Pharisees, who was included at the table of the kingdom of God. Who was included at the table of the kingdom of God? And my friends, we need to hear this. Guess what? It wasn't any of the people. Not one single person who the culture thought would be at that table. And the Pharisees, it made them so mad. And Jesus could have cared less. He's just right smack in the middle of it, having a good time, sharing his food, listening to stories. And the Pharisees, they decide not to confront Jesus directly, But they decide to confront his disciples. Now, if you fast forward in the book of Matthew, you'll see Matthew chapter 12. The Pharisees do confront Jesus directly about breaking another rule, about healing a man on the Sabbath. And I I want to say that because I want us to keep in mind as we journey towards Easter Sunday, as we journey through Lent, the tension in the story is building Okay, the tension in the story is building and in Matthew chapter 12, we'll see that's when the Pharisees decide, we got to execute this guy. We can't let this guy uh, hang around any longer. But the tension is building here at Matthew's house. And so the Pharisees ask the disciples, why does your teacher eat with these guys? Why is your teacher, your rabbi eating with the tax collectors and the sinners? And on hearing this, Jesus said in the way that only Jesus can do and so often does, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. And then he says, but go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Jesus quotes Hosea 6, 6, 6, an Old Testament scripture because apparently the people of God for all of time have had trouble with putting their rules over relationship. And Jesus wants to remind them of that. For us today, what we need to remember is, is Jesus is making a statement about the people who follow the rules. And friends, sometimes those people are us. He's making a statement about the people who show up to church every Sunday, who go to their Bible studies, who have their quiet time, who show up at youth group, who who serve and who give. And all the while you're doing all these things that are good and beautiful things that the people of God should be doing as an overflow of our lives for his gratitude and his grace. But instead, we're just checking off the boxes. There's no relationship there. There's no relationship with Jesus, and then there's no relationship with the people around us. We're just following the rules. We're just going through the motions. And Jesus, Jesus didn't accept this. Jesus didn't accept this. This is not his way of life that he has invited us into. This is one of the evidence that we have when we're just checking off the boxes, my friends, that this is not the best, it is not the fullness and the goodness that God has prepared for us at the table. God calls us not just to be a friend with people, not just to go through the motions, but he calls us to be a living parable. He calls us to embody his grace in a way that shows other people that they too are invited to the table. Jesus' table fellowship at Matthew's house was so much more about the rules. It was more than just friendship. It was a declaration of who he was and what it meant to follow him who he was and what he meant to follow him. And he didn't just come. You'll notice when when he talks to the people, he doesn't say, I came to be their friend. Maybe that's true. Jesus was a cool guy to hang out with, but he didn't just come to be our friend. He came to be our physician. He came to be our healer. He came to be the one that could heal us from the inside out, to call us to leave our old lives behind and walk in the newness and the freedom of life that can only be found, only be found at his table. My friends, the table fellowship of Jesus Christ was scandalous. Scandalous. And my question for us this morning is how scandalous is your table fellowship? You just checking off the boxes? (laughs) You know, one easy step, To make our table look a little different might just be inviting people that are different than us to the table. Maybe inviting people whose skin color is different, whose religious background is different, whose socioeconomic background is different, whose age is different. Young people in the room, when is the last time that you invited someone who is older than you to sit across the table from you and ask them about their faith life? to ask them about their journey, to ask them what they might be able to teach you. Old people, (laughs) when's the last time you reached out to someone younger than you, that you found someone in the next generation and you invited them to sit across a table from you and to hear their story and ask them what they think is happening in the world around them and how they are making sense of it as they try to follow Jesus in a complex world? Our tables need to look different. Did you know that statistically, once we've hit the age of 23, okay, I've just aged out. Once you've hit the age of 23, don't laugh at that, that's not funny. Once you hit the age of 23, statistically, you make five new friends in your lifetime. I want you to think about that for a minute. We need to be a little more intentional about who we're making friends with. For those of us whose skin color is white in this room, 91% of our social circles look just like us. My friends, we need to do a better job of who we invite to our tables. But here's the thing, that's just diversity. Okay, diversity is not scandalous. Diversity is what we should be doing. What we're called to is the people of God. That's the everyday stuff. What made the fellowship table fellowship of Jesus scandalous is he didn't wait until people had their lives together. He didn't wait till they had it all figured out before he invited them to his table of grace. He didn't make the tax collectors and the sinners go through all the rituals and all the routines of what it would have taken to make them clean to sit at his table. Instead, he simply pulled up a chair and he broke the bread and he listened to their stories and he accepted them for who they were And he trusted, he trusted that the transforming power, the work of God, the work of Jesus Christ on the cross in their lives would be enough, would be enough to transform them. You see, when the Pharisees looked at the tax collectors, they only saw their failures, but Jesus saw their needs. When Eric and I uh, were first married, I worked, uh, we lived in downtown Pittsburgh, and I worked at a public relations firm in downtown Pittsburgh, and uh, it was one of my first jobs out of college. And and my boss, when I worked there, she was a woman by the name of Dawn. And she was just a, a couple years older than me, and Dawn and I became fast friends, and we started to become friends outside of work. And what I noticed about Dawn is, once we started hanging out outside of work, I noticed that Dawn's lifestyle was wildly different than mine, radically different. The things that she chose to consume, the people that she chose to hang out with, the way that she chose to treat me when we were at a table together, and I really started to struggle with this woman. But I knew she was far from Jesus, and so I kept praying for her. I wanted her to have a seat at the table. At the time, Eric and I were part of this small little church in Pittsburgh, about 110 people. It's, it's this amazing little church that we still have great affection for. They had table fellowship um, like nothing we had ever experienced before or since. We've had more meals uh, in those three years with that group of people than I think I've ever had. in The rest of my life, the table fellowship was second to none. It was a sacred place for us. And so one of my friends in our small group who was part of that table fellowship, she needed a job. And we had a, a there was a job at the reception desk open at our PR firm. And so uh, I invited her in and we got a, we got her a, a job at the PR firm. And she also started to befriend my, my boss, Don. And I thought, oh great, okay, there's two of us. We're trying to shine the light of Jesus. Like we're going to, we're going to make this happen, and so sure enough Don started to get to know some of our friends and we invited her to church and I was so excited when Don came to church and you know she worshiped with us in this public worship space and I was okay with that and I was excited about that. But then my friend Beth wanted to get a little scandalous. She wanted to invite Don to our small group. She wanted to invite Don to our table that was the most sacred fellowship I had in my life and I started to panic. I mean, I went into defense and protect. I started to panic and I said to Beth over and over again, I said, "No, no, 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 you don't understand, she's not ready. You don't understand, she's not ready to be at this table. In other words, I hadn't seen her follow one rule that I deemed making her worthy. To sit at a table with me, I was so much more concerned about me and my roles than I was about the relationship that my friend could have, not just with me, but with the God of the universe. And my friend Beth said very wisely to me, she said, Sven, you know better. Come on. You know better. You know Jesus never waits for people to get their act together before he invites them to the table. Pretty sure Dawn would have been sitting at Matthew's table as I peered through the windows with the other Pharisees, wondering why she was there. My friends, it's one thing to believe that people should be included around the table. It's one thing to believe up here that people should be included around our table, and it's quite another thing to invite them to sit at ours. How scandalous is your table fellowship this morning? You know the only hope I think we have, the only hope I think we have in making our tables look as beautifully scandalous as the one at Matthew's house? I think we need to lean into one single truth. And it's the truth that we are reminded of time and time again as we journey through Lent, as we sit with the, the cross on a Good Friday. And the truth is this, that my friends, Jesus came to heal the sick. And we're all sick. Some of us today are sitting in the seats of the Pharisees and we're looking out at the world around us and all we see, all we see is a bunch of tax collectors and sinners and so we do everything we can to keep them away from our tables. Instead of making our tables longer, we lock our doors. We lock our doors and we keep them out and in doing so, and in doing so, we cut off one of the primary ways that God wants to use us to use us as an instrument of his salvation and of his grace. We cut ourselves off, and you know what, in doing so, in forgetting that, we also forget that not only are there tax collectors and sinners out there that we need to invite to our table, but we once were them. All of us, we once were them, and that but by the grace of God, we still are them that even on our best days, on our most righteous days, our most rule-following, ritual-making days, we just forget. We forget that our humanity is so fragile, that our limitations so great, that we could easily find ourselves in a situation where we are them again. We forget how fragile, how fragile my friends are, but by the grace of God, some of us today may find ourselves in that situation. We may find ourselves in a place where we are, we are standing next to Matthew in the tax collector's booth, and maybe even though we've been coming to church a long time, checking off all the boxes, we are wondering, we are, we are looking at our lives and seeing the mess that we've made of it, and we're asking ourselves this morning, am I ever gonna be, receive that invitation to feast at the table again? Am I ever going to get an invitation to the kingdom table that God has prepared for me? And friends, what I want to say to you this morning, and I hope you heard from the scripture, you've got to remember you've already been invited. The invitation stands, my friends. All you have to do is leave your booth and follow Jesus. That may be some of us today, but others of us today maybe need to be reminded, or maybe we need to find comfort in the fact that the church is nothing more. This building, this place, this worship service is nothing more than a bunch of tax collectors and sinners. Look around, my friends. A bunch of tax collectors and sinners who have been saved by God's grace. And sometimes the longer we are on our journey, the easier it is to forget that. But this morning, I want to remind you of that. I want to remind you that you can stop pretending. You can stop pretending. You can stop walking around like you've never been sick. You can stop walking around like you don't need the healing power of Jesus in your life right now. You can stop walking around like your marriage is not in trouble or that your kids are not hurting or that you're not struggling with a certain area of sin that you're just so afraid to bring into the light because you don't know what anyone else will think, my friends. Just because Jesus healed us doesn't mean we still don't get sick I think it's one of the biggest problems with our American church today is we're filled with a bunch of people who are afraid to confess when we're sick. A couple of years ago, I'm coming to a close, I promise. (laughs) A couple of years ago, I was at a coffee shop uh, just down the street, and the the owner is a friend of mine. And so I went in, and her son was working behind the counter. And so because I knew him, we started chatting. I ordered my coffee, and we were chatting. And and there was no one else in the restaurant at the time, and so I hadn't noticed that a man had come up behind me and was waiting in line. So I just kept talking I hadn't noticed he was waiting very patiently. Uh, and so finally when I did notice, I turned around and I said, Oh my goodness, I'm, I'm so sorry I didn't see you there. I'm, I'm so sorry. And you know how when you're, like, you're apologizing to someone and you feel really bad, and like, what do we usually say to people? That's oh, no problem. It's okay. No worries. Mm-mm. Not this guy, just stone faced. I'm tripping over myself to apologize, and he is just standing there. Maybe he grunted, maybe he mumbled, but he was having none of it. And so the, the kid behind the counter and I just kind of looked at each other, like, woo, okay. And so I scooted down and I got my coffee and I went and sat down at a table and I opened my laptop and I was working. And about five minutes later, this guy, I could tell he was standing right next to my table. <laughs> I was like, oh no, I was, I was afraid to look up at him. But finally I did, I, I looked up at him and I could tell he was so uncomfortable. The last place he wanted to be standing was next to my table. He was so uncomfortable and he said, look, I'm so sorry. My, my wife and my kids, they keep telling me I need to slow down. They keep telling me I need to not be in a rush to get everywhere. They keep telling me I need to not be so uh, agitated and impatient when people don't move as fast as I do. And he said, you know what, if you can't talk to your friend in a coffee shop, I don't know where you can talk to someone. And he said, I'm, I'm so sorry. He said, I'm working on it. I really am. And before I could even respond, he was, he was out the door and I have carried that man in my head for the last three years, and I share it with you today because I don't know if that man was a believer. I, I, don't know, I don't know what his story or his journey was, but I remember praying this prayer, and I often pray this prayer, especially during Lent, Lord, make me be more like that guy. Make me be more like someone who can stand next to a table and confess where I'm struggling, confess where I'm sick, Maybe pull up a chair and let other people sit around me and remind me of God's grace. Because, friends, when we do that, when we have that kind of scandalous table fellowship, we are reminded we can take, we can trust in the fact that the healing power of Jesus most often shines brightest among those who are being healed, not among those who are well. Let's pray. God, thank you for being in this space with us this morning. Thank you for being present. Lord, thank you for accepting us at your table no matter what we bring this morning. Lord, I pray for those who are just struggling to remember that they've been invited no matter what they've done. Lord, no matter their past, their present, Lord, that there's a seat waiting for them. And Lord, I also pray for those of us who just have names and faces popping into our mind right now. Lord, people that we know you've been asking us, that you've been calling us to invite to our tables. Lord, I pray we may get out of the way. We may not worry about what other people think. We may not worry about our rules and our rituals, but we may be solely focused and trusting the transforming power of your grace. Lord, we ask these things may be so today. In the precious and wonderful name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.